today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. If you're working out all the time, but you're not getting sleep, you're not going to build muscle because you build muscle when you sleep. Okay. The other thing that happens during sleep is when you get into REM sleep, which is the dream sleep, you get erections. And so I have patients that come into my office that have long-term sleep apnea that are in their early 40s that can't get erections anymore. And the reason for that is because nighttime erections are when the penis practices. And so if you're not getting practice, things aren't going to work when you need them. And then the other thing is if you look at the circadian rhythm of testosterone, it peaks out at eight o'clock in the morning. So if you're young and you want to get your testosterone checked, you better get it checked at eight o'clock in the morning because by three or four o'clock in the afternoon, right? See, I'm old. I'm drinking my cup of coffee. And because your testosterone goes down 15, 20%. And so when does it start to go back up? When you go to sleep, you recharge the testosterone when you're asleep. And if you don't get good sleep, guess what happens to the testosterone? Hello, hello. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. And today I talk with Dr. Judson Brandeis, a leading expert in the field of men's health and author of the book, 21st Century Man. We talk about everything from testosterone to sexual function to overall just how to feel great as men age. And don't you think men's health only starts to decline after 50 either? It turns out dysfunction can start at any age. And even men in their 30s who are struggling should listen up. Before we get started though, I wanna talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you are an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Judson Brandeis, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast. I am so excited to talk to you about this today. Oh, Carrie, thank you so much for having me on. We're going to have a lot of fun. We are because, well, one of the big things we're talking about, of course, is your book, The 21st Century Man. But what I love about it is how you describe it. Maintain physical, mental, and sexual health to feel great, look good, and have better intimacy. And for God's sake, who doesn't want that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got all, all the, the only three things you should really care about. Look good, feel good, and have great intimacy. I was like, check, check, check. Let's talk. Let's talk to this (laughs) doctor. (laughs) Well, for those who don't know you, why don't you give us a quick rundown of who you are, what you do, what you stand for, so they know. Sure. So I'm a board-certified urologist. I'm in practice in Northern California. I went to Brown University for undergraduate, and then I worked at American Red Cross for Harold Merriman, the guy who figured out how to freeze blood. And we were freezing kidneys for transplantation. Then I went off to Vanderbilt for medical school. During medical school, I did a year of research sponsored by the Howard Hughes Medical Institute at Harvard Medical School, where I worked with the group that did the first living-related kidney transplant and won the Nobel Prize for that. Then I went back to medical school. Then I went off to UCLA. At UCLA, I trained in surgery and then in urology. And after finishing residency, I went off to Northern California into private practice where I pioneered surgical robotics, built a kidney stone center, pioneered MRI-guided prostate biopsy. And then about three years ago, I became really interested in regenerative urology. So the ability to help men get erections at an age or a time in their life when they were no longer able to do that. And so that was really cool. But What I found was that if a guy didn't feel like he looked good, and if a guy didn't feel like, feel good, then he really wasn't that interested in having physical intimacy. And so I started getting into testosterone and male hormones, and then into not physical fitness, but some of the technologies like high-intensity focused electromagnetic waves that help men rapidly build muscle, talking to men about diet and exercise and those sort of things. I also do some really fascinating clinical research on orgasms, on erectile dysfunction, on muscle building, on increasing the size of the penis. And I presented at Sexual Medicine Society meeting. I think you just piqued everyone's interest with that last sentence. (laughs) (laughs) You should have just started with that. (laughs) 
Everyone listening was like, tell me that secret. Huh? What? Who's this, who's this guy? <laughs> well, actually, my out of your book, I and mean, this is what I love. Now, women's health, women's hormones is my background. So I'm always talking about prevention and early intervention. And it's one of the things you talk about in your book. So what do you mean by that when you talk about prevention and early intervention as it relates to the men who come to your practice and the men you're trying to educate? Oh, gosh. So men are 50% less likely to go to the doctor than women right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Women are much better off about preventative health. But you know, women end up going to the gynecologist if they have babies, whereas if a man is between the ages of 25 and 40, which is sort of typically when women have babies, they're not going to the doctor, right? Everything seems to be working. Why should I bother going to the doctor? Why should I care about anything? You know, everything is going fine. Whereas women are going to the doctor, so they're getting their vital signs. They have someone to call in a prescription if they need it. And Typically, women are the ones that are taking the kids to the doctor, so they actually even know where their health insurance card is, whereas a lot of 28 or 30 or 35-year-old guys have no idea where their health insurance card is. And in fact, like I got guys from Lawrence Livermore Lab, like PhDs, guys that are running our nuclear programs, right? And they have no idea what the difference is between a PPO and an HMO, right? I'm asking them, like, do you have PPO or HMO? Because I can order blood labs for PPO, but not for HMO. And these guys who are responsible for our nuclear programs are like, I don't know. What's the difference? I don't know, but I have a copay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons actually there's an extensive, really, really good chapter on health insurance in the book is people are incredibly undereducated about our health system and health insurance. And to a certain extent, our system is so messed up that it's no fault of their own. But this, the chapter in the 21st Century Man really kind of clears up a lot of the confusion about that kind of stuff. But, but that's part of the reason that men don't really take care of themselves that well is they don't even go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. So when you are talking to them, when they finally come in as a urologist, what are you seeing over and over and over again that made you go, you know what, I'm just going to write this book because... I just answer the same question over and over. They come in at 40 and you're like, you should have come in at 28. Come on. Yeah. First of all, stuff kind of works in their 20s and 30s and 40s. But <laughs> what I see is guys coming in in their like 40s or 50s or 60s or even 70s. And all of a sudden, something's not working, right? Whether it's uh, their erections aren't working or they're losing muscle or they're putting on fat or they have low testosterone. So they're low motivation, low libido. They're growing man boobs. They can't sleep. Everything hurts. They don't want to get off the couch. And then I kind of have to put the pieces back together, which I'm, I've become really, really good at doing that. But it would be much better if an ounce of prevention is worth, in this case, like 20 pounds of cure, right? If they didn't drink too much, if they didn't smoke, if they didn't eat too much, if they learned how to exercise on a consistent basis on, earlier on, then they would push out the time when they came in to see me by five or 10 or 15 or 20 years. And when you're talking with these men in their 40s or their 50s or 60s or whatever, what are the key, like you talk, you've got the three pillars, right, in your book, but what are the just sort of like these underlying factors across the board you're teaching everybody about? If somebody's listening right now going, holy crap, that's me, I'm 50 and something's not working. Where do you start? Yeah, so there are a couple of things. First of all, it's easy. <laughs> it, people make it too complicated. It really is, to a certain extent, simple and very inexpensive, okay? Don't drink alcohol. Don't smoke. Don't do drugs. Don't eat too much food. Exercise every day. Stretch every day. Meditate a little bit and be nice to people, right? If you do those eight things, you're ahead of about 90% of people, right? But the problem is, why don't we do all those things that are pretty simple and we know what to do and we'd probably save a lot of money not drinking, not smoking, et cetera, et cetera. It's because life is complicated and there are a lot of pressures and there's marketing and there's peer pressure and et cetera, et cetera. And we need coping mechanisms sometimes to get through life. And sometimes those coping mechanisms turn into addictions or turn into just too much. Now, the other thing that I understand about men because I treat men all the time. I've treated thousands and thousands and thousands of men over my 25-year career. As you can't tell, you and I were talking about this, you can't tell a guy what to do. You tell a, a guy, well, stop smoking or stop drinking. I'm like, screw you. I'll do whatever the <laughs> hell I want, right? So my approach to men is very data-driven, right? I bring men to the conclusions that I want them 
to come to based on giving them information. So let me give you a couple examples of how I might do that, right? So I had a patient a couple of weeks ago. He was 25 pounds overweight. He was complaining. It was really hard for him to lose weight. And I said, and I take a full intake history and physical, and he drinks two glasses of wine a night, right? And I'm in Northern California, close to Napa. Everyone drinks wine, whatever, except me. I don't drink. But I said to him, I said, how many calories in a glass of red wine? So we looked up on Google, 125 calories. Okay, so if you drink two glasses of red wine a night, that's 250 calories, right? So then you multiply that times 365 days in a year, and you get the total number of calories that comes in through red wine. I said, okay, now, I don't know if you know this, but one pound of human fat is 3,500 calories, right? So divide the number on your iPhone. I have them do it on their iPhones. Divide the number on your iPhone by 3,500 and give me the number. And he's like, well, the number is 28. I said, okay, what does 28 mean? They kind of looked at me like, I, I don't know. I said, that's 28 pounds of fat that you're putting on yourself each year by having two glasses of wine a night. And he said, well, then I'm going to stop drinking wine. I said, okay, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you thought of it. Good conclusion you came to. No, I didn't have to tell him anything. Or another example. Okay, I had this guy, late 50s. He's a healthcare professional, but he had a, a tough life. He came over from another country, drove a taxi cab during dental school to support himself, and he smokes, right? At least a pack a day every day for since he was 12 or something like that. And, you know, he just won't stop smoking. And he's tried, well, butrin and mac acupuncture and all sorts of crap. And I said, You were telling me about your daughters. They sound amazing. Said, oh, yeah, my daughters, they're just incredible. I said, you know how many years of life you would lose if you continue smoking? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, smokers don't live as long as non-smokers. I said, they, in fact, they live 13 years less long than non-smokers. So, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I said, do me a favor. I said, you know, I don't want you to do anything else other than just write down 13 years on a piece of paper and then tape it to the door of your daughter's bedroom. He said, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, and just remind yourself every time you walk into their room that you're going to lose 13 years of life with your daughters if you continue smoking. Okay. Right for the heart. <laughs> yeah. So um, next month I see him and he's like, you know what? I quit smoking. Right. I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't tell him to stop smoking. All I told him was to write a simple two words on a piece of paper and stick it up on his daughter's door. But it reminded him of the consequence of his behavior. Right. And that's, it's like, there's this joke. How do you get 50 Canadians off a bus? You ask them. How do you get? <laughs> right. But, you know, you imagine if you had 50 Americans on a bus and you asked the Americans to get off the bus, they'd be like, you know, screw you. Yeah, they'd fight. <laughs> yeah, give me a soda. <laughs> right. Now, you know, American women are probably more like Canadians and guys are more like Americans. Right. So you have to lead them to make their own conclusions. And so the 21st century man is just filled with those kind of amazing facts. Like if you're a woman and you have a spouse and they're out working in the backyard with a, a sawzall, right? Chopping up stuff in the backyard like I like to do every weekend, right? So 90% of eye injuries are preventable by wearing safety goggles. But how many guys are out in the backyard like, oh, I'm invincible, I'm not going to get injured, and then a little piece of sheet metal embeds itself in your cornea in the emergency room and you get a bill for 25,000 bucks for the eye surgery and you can't see in one eye, right? And all you had to do is stick a pair of safety goggles on and you're probably not too cool to do that. Or 50% of hand injuries are preventable by wearing gloves. I have a pair of leather gloves now that I wear. Fit fine. They don't. Now that you know the statistic. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> now that I know the statistics, I'm like, I don't want to be that stupid mm -hmm. statistic. Or every year, one of my patients falls off a roof putting up Christmas lights. I like it's like clockwork every year. And it, the interesting thing is okay, the book not only just it does it give you those statistics, but it, my patients are really smart. I'm in Northern California. I get a lot of patients from Apple, Google, Facebook, Oracle, Lawrence Livermore Labs, Tesla. So my patients want to know why. They want to understand stuff, right? So if you're 65 and you're putting up the Christmas lights, let's just go through why you might fall. Okay, first of all, 
your balance isn't as good as it used to be because the little stones in the, the canals in your ear don't slide as easily around the, the, the canal. Second of all, your nerves aren't as quick and your reflexes aren't as quick because nerves slow down as you get older. And then you're not as flexible as you used to because your tendons and ligaments dry out as you age, and so they're not as elastic or flexible. And then your muscles, you lose about 1% to 2% of your muscle mass every year after the age of 40. And so you're not as strong as you used to be, and you tend to put on weight as you get older, so you have more weight to control up on the top of that ladder. So for those five reasons, it's probably good to hand a $50 bill to your next door neighbor's kid who's 16 or 17 and have them put up your Christmas lights instead of being stubborn at the age of 65 or 60 and thinking that you're the same physical specimen that you were when you were 20. Which isn't going to happen. It's not. No matter what. Yeah, there was a fascinating study that came out of Tufts out of the fielding lab. And they looked at gene expression in muscle in 20-year-olds versus 50-year-olds doing exactly the same workout, right? And what they found was the 20-year-old expressed three times as many genes as the 50-year-old, which means that a 20-year-old doing the same workout as a 50-year-old is going to build muscle three times faster, right? That's just the way it is. You just have to accept, I'm 55 now, I just have to accept that I can't build muscle the way that I did when I was 20. And it's going to take me three to four times the effort that it would take when I was 20. Actually, this is a really good point because you're not saying you can't. I can't build muscle. What you're saying is it's just going to take you more effort. So part of what like you're saying in your book where you talk about looking good and feeling good, it's you're not at all saying, yeah, age, give up. Good luck. <laughs> yes, you know? just Sorry. Tossing those chips, <laughs> man. You're done. You're done. Instead, you're like... Get that fork out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know what I'm saying? And in the book, there's the, the Brandeis MD male rejuvenation protocol, right? And it's, I'm kind of, I've become a specialist in building muscle and getting rid of fat in men over the age of 50. If you're 20, go to McDonald's, go to the gym. You'll build muscle, guaranteed, right? Oh, especially in men. Especially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's very simple. Women, it's, it, I feel bad for women because testosterone is a stronger anabolic hormone than estrogen. So women, men and women doing the same exact same workout, men are going to build about 10 or 15% more muscle. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. But I can quickly go through the steps. Yeah, there be, people want to know. First of all, you have to have testosterone. Testosterone is the anabolic hormone for men. So at the age of 12, pre-puberto, a man will have a testosterone of 200. Now, women out there, you also have testosterone. You have both men and women have testosterone and estrogen. So they say men are from Mars and women are from Venus, right? But if you actually look at the molecule of testosterone and estrogen, the only difference is a single hydrogen atom. So the smallest unit of matter is what separates men and women, which is why testosterone and estrogen can flip-flop between each other called aromatization. So men have a testosterone of, say, 200 pre-puberty. As soon as they hit puberty, boom, up to about 1,000, right? And every year after that, it decreases 1% or 2%. And so it builds, one of the things it does is it builds muscle, right? So if you're 50, 55, 60 years old, say, and your testosterone is 200 or 250 or 300, you're not going to build muscle. You can go to the gym till the cows come home you will not build muscle. In fact, there was a really interesting study published in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at a control group, an exercise group. The exercise group grew twice as much muscle as the control group, and then a high testosterone-only group that didn't exercise. And guess what? They built twice as much muscle as the exercise group. Testosterone, man. Anabolic. Really? Yeah. They're just hanging out on the couch playing Nintendo, calling up their buddies in the gym going, how is this going? Because I'm building twice as much muscle as you. But the key is testosterone and exercise, right? Mm -hmm. But exercise is different after the age of 50, unless you've been consistently doing it all the time. But even in that case, first of all, your recovery time is longer. You have to accept that, right? I go and play basketball with my son. The next day, he's like, dad, let's go play basketball again. I'm like, son, <laughs> dad needs three days to recover from the basketball that we played because I'm really sore. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But that's the important thing to remember, right? All these poor folks that were on their Pelotons during COVID didn't really build much muscle. They built uh, cardiovascular fitness, but they didn't build much muscle because they were cranking away on their Peloton every day and stressing a muscle causes tearing damage to the muscle. But sleeping and eating protein and nitric oxide booster and creatine, those are what helps muscle rebuild. And so if you're doing the same thing every day, you're not going to build muscle. And so I have a protocol, I call it the ABC protocol, where A is ambulate, so run or stairmaster or elliptical, B is bike, and then C is circuit training, right? Isn't that cool how it became ABC? Yeah, yeah it worked out that way, funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then you repeat it so that you get 72 hours of rest after the intervention. And that's how you build muscle. You don't build muscle by tearing it down every single day, okay? And then what else? Oh, protein, right? So all those poor people during COVID weren't getting to the grocery store to get stuff with protein. They were using a lot of stuff with carbs because that stores better, it's cheaper, it's easier. It's comforting. Comforting. But you can't build muscle with carbs, right? Carbs are basically just complex sugars and you don't make muscle out of sugar. You know, you make snow cones or... <laughs> Rolls. Sleep puff marshmallows. Or, <laughs> yeah, but you don't make muscle. So a simple kind of rule of thumb is take your weight, divide it by two, and that's the number of grams of protein that you need to eat every day. And I, to me, all protein gets broken down into amino acids. So I honestly, I don't care what protein people come up to me and say, should I eat buffalo protein or beef? Or, like, I don't care. I'm not a nutritionist. I don't ever claim to have much knowledge beyond that kind of stuff. But plant protein or animal protein doesn't matter. I just find in general people under protein. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they're nitpicky about buffalo or beef or chicken or plant. But in the end, when you do count the grams, you're like, well, it doesn't matter. You're under anyway. Well, you know, the thing is protein spoils. Yeah. Right. Fish, beef, chicken, whatever. You know, you have a limited shelf life, whereas you can take a cup of noodles that's like 72 years old and throw some hot water in there and eat it. And it probably won't taste much different than it does yesterday. But protein's different. And so it's really important that you get good sources of protein. Yeah. Do you find that this changes as men get to be over 50? Are they, for whatever reason, eating less protein, exercising less, recovering less? Or have they always been this way, but now age is caught up with them that you tend to see? It's both. There are folks that... It happens to all of us, but the people that are doing it cleaner and more mindfully are doing better. And this goes for women and for men, of course. It's just all human physiology that it's important to eat protein. The thing is like there's something called sarcopenia, which is just the doctor's fancy way of saying you're losing muscle as you get older. But the reason you lose muscle is one, you don't need as much protein. Second of all, your intestines aren't as good as absorbing protein as they used to be. They're not as good at absorbing macronutrients like vitamins, minerals, all that kind of good stuff. Our nerves don't work as well. We're typically not doing the same workouts that we were able to do back in the day. And then our mitochondria aren't working quite as well as they used to. And so mitochondria make this stuff called ATP, which is kind of like our little energy source in the body, which is why I have two supplements that I put my patients on. One is creatine, and the reason you put people on creatine is it helps restore ATP. So ATP releases energy, becomes ADP. And then you got to grab that phosphate and stick it back on the ADP to make it into ATP. And that's what creatine does, right? So a lot of my patients, I'm like, well, have you considered going back on creatine? And they're like, oh, you know, I used to, when I played professional football, I used to use that all the time. I'm like, well, okay, but you're still alive. Yeah. Still trying to build muscle. Still trying to build muscle. <laughs> Why would it work when you were 20, but not work when you're 50 or 55? And the other is, I, uh, there's a supplement that I created called Affirm, Firm Science, and it's a nitric oxide booster. So it's a combination of citrulline, which converts to arginine, which then kicks out nitric oxide, and then also beets, which contain nitrates, which then convert into nitrites, which then convert into nitric oxide. And you need nitric oxide to open up blood vessels. And so I'll put all my patients on Affirm one or two tablets, depending on their age, twice a day. Can you go into that more? I love nitric oxide. So can you explain to the listeners, especially men, why they need to keep the health of their nitric oxide? Yeah. I mean, nitric oxide really is, it's amazing. I had a patient the other day. He's the CEO of a big tech company. And 
he was being seen by his Stanford cardiologist and the cardiologist wanted to put him on blood pressure medication. Blood pressure medications are great for folks that need them, but they have really, really bad side effects. So if you don't need to be on a blood pressure medication, you should avoid being on a blood pressure medication at all costs. And so I looked at him and and did my whole evaluation, looked at his labs and all that kind of stuff. And I said, listen, you just need to be on a nitric oxide booster. Let me put you on two tablets of a firm twice a day. And he's like, sure, anything. I don't want to be on a blood pressure medication. Because I explained to him how blood pressure medications cause erectile dysfunction or make erectile function worse. And he came back, you know, he's like a techie. So he's got like all these little gizmos and body monitoring and all that kind of stuff. And his blood pressure was... All the wearables. Yeah, all the wearables. And But, you know, he was tracking on his iPhone and everything. And his blood pressure was like 145 over 95 for like a week or two. And, and then I got him on a firm and you could see the blood pressure slowly march down from the red zone to the yellow zone to... He was 118 over 74. It's amazing. Yeah. Consistently. And maybe he had less stress in his life or something. But the thing is, it's when I was at UCLA, one of my professors, Lou Ignaro, won the Nobel Prize for discovering nitric oxide as a second messenger. And another friend of mine wrote the paper that described the mechanism of action of Viagra, which works on a PDE5 enzyme, which breaks down something called cyclic GMP, which is what nitric oxide produces, right? So nitric oxide and PDE5 inhibitors work on opposite sides of this one molecule called cyclic GMP, which is why I got into producing a nitric oxide booster because it boosts the efficacy of a PDE5 inhibitor. So it helps with erections. Exactly. For those who aren't following the science. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to just go straight right to it, (laughs) it gives you better boners. Which a lot of people want and need. It's Big complaint. Yeah, which a lot of people care about. But the other thing is, a nitric, the beauty of something like Viagra and Cialis is it's specific to the genitalia. The beauty of a nitric oxide booster like a firm is that it helps with cognition, helps with short-term memory. It helps bring down blood pressure. It helps athletic performance. So a lot of bodybuilders and elite endurance athletes will take nitric oxide boosters to improve circulation. And the amazing thing is it really doesn't have any drug interactions or side effects. Yeah, which is wonderful, which is wonderful. And especially if you don't like beets, you can get them in a pill. Exactly. (laughs) Will you touch on, since we're on the subject of like erectile dysfunction, testosterone, men feeling better, stress and sleep. Will you just hit home those things for the listeners? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'll start with sleep, but I I love talking about stress too. Because people have to understand what's behind all this stuff, right? So sleep, okay. What happens during sleep? And I'm not a sleep expert, okay? Mike Murphy is a Stanford professor. He wrote the sleep chapter of my book, right? So I don't know everything about everything. I'm one of the first people to tell you that there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about, but I know a lot of people who know a lot about that stuff. And so Mike Murphy's a great guy. He wrote the chapter on sleep in the book. But what I know about sleep is that there are basically three phases. There's getting to sleep, the kind of getting into sleep, and then... There's the physical rejuvenation part of sleep. And then there's the psychological rejuvenation part of sleep. So if you're working out all the time, but you're not getting sleep, you're not going to build muscle because you build muscle when you sleep. Okay. The other thing that happens during sleep is when you get into REM sleep, which is the dream sleep, you get erections. And so I have patients that come into my office that have long-term sleep apnea that are in their early 40s that can't get erections anymore. And the reason for that is because nighttime erections are when the penis practices. And so if you're not getting practice, things aren't going to work when you need them. And then the other thing is if you look at the circadian rhythm of testosterone, it peaks out at eight o'clock in the morning. So if you're young and you want to get your testosterone checked, you better get it checked at eight o'clock in the morning because by three or four o'clock in the afternoon, right? See, I'm old. I'm drinking my cup of coffee. And because your testosterone goes down 15, 20%. And so when does it start to go back up? When you go to sleep. You recharge the testosterone when you're asleep. And if you don't get good sleep, guess what happens to the testosterone? Down it goes. Doesn't get recharged, right? And so what kind of things can mess up sleep? Well, first of all, alcohol, right? Alcohol messes up sleep. It messes up REM sleep. So you're not getting nighttime erections. You're getting interrupted sleep. You probably, I don't think, I don't know if that I've 
ever seen a study, but I bet you if they did a study on people that drink heavily versus people that don't drink heavily, it will show that people that don't drink heavily have much higher testosterone levels, right? I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of like just sleep in kind of a brief nutshell. Now, stress is different. Stress produces hormones. When someone says someone's erectile function is psychogenic or psychological, like I don't want people to feel like, oh gosh, I'm crazy. I can't get an erection. Okay. It's a stress response. And the I'm a visual person. I like to use imagery. If you're running away from a bear, you are unlikely to have an erection. At least you probably not. <laughs> probably not. Okay. How come? Okay. If you're running away from a bear, you need muscle, you need blood in your muscles, in your eyes, in your brain, in your heart. Okay. You don't need to worry about digesting a meal because you're probably going to be someone else's meal pretty soon. You don't need to be worry about producing urine and you don't need to worry about procreation. You produce adrenaline, which brings blood to that place. Now, then you turn around, get pissed off, punch the bear in the face, kill the bear, strip the skin off, put it on your cave, and you and the cave woman now are, are getting down with some bear steaks. That's a different situation. You've switched from a sympathetic nervous system response to a parasympathetic nervous system response, right? Now you go from fight or flight where you needed blood in the muscle to blood in your intestines so you can digest food and produce waste, blood in your kidneys so that you can monitor and, and adjust electrolytes and get rid of waste and monitor fluid levels and then procreation so that in the end, the, the most important thing to keep species alive is to have babies, right? And so that's related to the hormones that you're producing and stress produces stress hormones and relaxation produces relaxation hormones and suppresses stress hormones. And I don't think this is ever taught anywhere. Imagine if we learned this in school or on the decade, like, hey, you're headed into your 40s now. Your stress is probably higher. Job, yeah. family, kids, promotion, stress, et cetera. It's going to affect you. When I was a medical student, I was like 26, 27. I could care less about old guys. <laughs> Then you got a little bit older. Then I got older, right? <laughs> now I care about my peeps. Right. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's the same with women. I would, I have women come into the practice and they would go, I used to orgasm and now I can't. And I'm like, right, because you have that much more stress in your life, that much less sleep, that much more alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's the same hormones-ish, same effect on the body. Yeah, absolutely. Hard to have an orgasm when you're running from the bear. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So speaking of great sex, which is one of your pillars in your book, because it is so important, what other tips, tricks, secrets can you give everybody? Yeah. So I put almost everyone on a nitric oxide booster like a firm. I, a lot of my patients I'll put on a PDE5 inhibitor, like a daily dose of Tadalafil or Cialis. So first of all, it's generic now. So it's like a buck a pill at my office for a five milligram dose of Tadalafil. I mean, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee, especially these days. So, because the thing is, you want to boost nighttime erections. Nighttime erections are important for a couple of things. One, it's to keep the penile blood flow going. But second of all, if you're losing nighttime erections, it means that something's going on with your circulation, right? Because erections are a function of circulation. So, if you're losing nighttime erections, 10 years later, you're going to lose erectile function. And if you lose erectile function 10 years after that, if you don't do anything, you're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have a stroke. You're going to have some cardiovascular events. So this is like God's way. It's like God's early warning sign. <laughs> like if you're losing morning erections, exercise more, eat better, stop smoking, don't drink too much. And if you start to lose erections when you should be having erections, that really is a wake-up call. And this is why I don't like these online pharmacies. You get an erection... I mean, you lose an erection, you have some erectile dysfunction, you go on Get Roman or Blue Chew or Lemonade or whatever, and they send you, they, you fill out a little questionnaire and they send it out to you. But you're missing the most important point, which is there's a reason that you're not getting erections anymore. And the reason is that your cardiovascular system is getting blocked, it's getting clogged. And there are more important problems coming down the pipe that are going to affect your ability to live. 
right? The first sign of cardiovascular disease in one quarter of men is death, sudden death. <laughs> Which is not the sign right? you want. <laughs> sudden death doesn't mean that it's the end of the game and it's tie score and you play on for a little bit longer. Sudden death in medicine means the game's over. That's it. It doesn't matter how many quarters you put in the video game, <laughs> the game is over. So if you don't heed that warning sign, same thing with testosterone. You're feeling low, you get a testosterone checked. It, it could be low, it could be borderline low. And some service is going to send you a bunch of testosterone, but it could be sleep apnea. It could be low thyroid. It could be that you're eating crappy food. You got to make sure that you figure that stuff out. But okay, but yeah, I got, I, I digressed a little bit from the question you asked me, which is what kind of things can you do to improve erectile function? So boosting the signal comes from nitric oxide boosters like Affirm and PD-5 inhibitor. Okay. Now, the what I got into regenerative urology for was low-intensity shockwave therapy. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So that's a really, really fascinating subject. And we discovered what shockwaves were during World War II when we were blowing up submarines. And all these poor sailors that were in the water were getting massive internal injuries because of the blast wave coming off the explosion, right? So they weren't getting injured by shrapnel. They were getting injured by this massive energy wave. So we love shockwaves as urologists because we use them to break up kidney stones. But now we love them even more because we can turn down the power on the shockwave and use it to stimulate the growth of new blood vessels in the penis. And the way that we do that is that the we send these pulsed energy waves through the penis. And what that does is it tricks the body into thinking that there's an injury, right? In the body, if you think that there's an injury, you generate an injury response. And that injury response activates stem cells and causes the release of growth factors, which creates what we call neoangiogenesis of the growth of new blood vessels. And then we can use something like PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, to boost or accelerate the growth of those blood vessels that we had stimulated to grow, right? Because platelets have two functions. One function is to cause clots, but you get a clot, then you get a scab, then the scab falls off and that skin grows back. And the reason that skin grows back is because platelets are chock full of growth factors, which is why you get that local regrowth because those growth factors are basically released in that area. And remember, he said erectile dysfunction is an issue with circulation. And he's talking about the capillaries, new capillary growth. Exactly. 100%. Living in America, eating an American diet, they call it the standard American diet, the sad diet, right? <laughs> we eat tons of processed food and Cheetos and stuff that like actually isn't food. If it doesn't grow like on a tree, <laughs> I don't think there's a Cheeto tree out there. Right. If it's powdered orange, it's probably not real. Yeah. I mean, if there is a Cheeto tree, I'd love to find it. Let us it. know. <laughs> yeah, because I'll be lining up for the Cheeto tree. Well, if they're going to send me a Cheeto tree, it'd have to be in California. Yeah, that's true. Probably where it'd grow. Yeah, it would grow in California. But yeah, we clog our blood vessels. And so you have, we have to generate what's called collateral circulation, meaning there are blood vessels that grow around the blockages. But then doing what I do, I found out, all sorts of other really cool stuff. So I use other medications like uh, PT-141. So PT-141 is, is, was discovered in Australia, right? And they were, all these poor Australians, we've knocked out the ozone layer and they're get, they all get basal cell carcinoma from too much sunlight, too many UV radiation. And so they're like, well, you know, let's, instead of putting sunblock on, let's see if we can boost our natural melanin production. And so there was a peptide called PT-141 that boosted natural melanin production. And so all these people were taking it, were getting really good tans, but they were also getting really horny and really good erections. And what they found is that we don't really understand how it actually works, but it activates a receptor in the brain called the melanocortin-4 receptor, which somehow connects with the penis to give guys spontaneous erections and boosts libido. Unfortunately, a third of folks will get fairly significant nausea, which is sort of treatable, but that's an alternative sometimes that we give to patients who either can't tolerate PDE5 inhibitors or need a boost, or you can use something like oxytocin, which is the female bonding hormone when they're, when they're breastfeeding, or something like apomorphine, which goes through a different receptor in the brain. So there's a bunch of kind of cool stuff 
that we do in addition or beyond what most folks ordinarily have. And I want to go back to the shockwave therapy just for a second, just to finish that out. You are doing that directly to the penis. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, honestly, it doesn't hurt that much. Is it one treatment, two treatments, five treatments? Yeah. Usually between six and 12 treatments. Six and 12 treatments. Yeah. And usually you don't get benefit till between the third to sixth week, right? Because what you're doing is trying to grow new blood vessels and blood vessels don't grow to a reasonable size overnight. Right. Takes time. Yeah, it takes time. But then you're seeing with that improved erectile quality and function? Yeah, but it's on a more permanent basis, right? So if you take a Viagra, you know, it works, but it's gone in eight hours. Yeah. You take Cialis, it's gone in 36 hours. Yeah. Use it or lose it. Yeah, use it or lose it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one patient, he's like, doc, man, 100 bucks down the drain. I'm like, you know, what are you, what are you talking about, John? He's like, yeah, you know, my wife and I, we, I took her out to dinner. We went to a nice restaurant, got a nice bottle of wine. I loaded up on Viagra. And then one stupid ass thing I said, and I wasted a hundred dollars. <laughs> it's always the case, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, it just takes one stupid one thing. One and done. <laughs> yeah, that's not uncommon now, is it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, last question before we wrap up, testosterone, because I get a lot of questions. Testosterone, hormone replacement therapy, there's obviously a lot of testosterone clinics that have popped up and all they focus and hyper-focus in on is on testosterone, which drives me nuts. Just, just look at testosterone and nothing else you've been talking about, but talk about testosterone replacement in men. Yeah, so first of all, make sure that what's going on is testosterone, right? If you have sleep apnea, you don't get enough sleep, you get tired, you get sluggish, you don't feel like working out, you eat bad, you, you don't. So the sleep apnea can mimic exactly the symptoms of low testosterone. Low thyroid hormones can mimic exactly the symptoms of low testosterone. So make sure that everything gets ruled out before someone's going to blame your symptoms on low testosterone. Now, the other thing to, to understand is just because your testosterone's low doesn't mean you need to have testosterone replaced, right? You can do, I have guys with a testosterone of 200 or 250 and they're perfectly fine. If you have good energy and you don't put on weight, good muscle tone and you got decent libido, don't replace testosterone. Just don't let someone twist your arm into doing that, right? It's a waste and it can be dangerous, okay? Now, if your testosterone is low on a lab slip and you have low motivation, low determination, low energy, low libido, you're losing muscle, you're putting on fat. Testosterone can save your life. It can be amazing. Okay. Now, it, literally, research has proven that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, with, in men's health. Yeah. Yeah. And it can not just save your life from a like, are you going to live or die? But it can give you the, a quality of life that you didn't have before. And so now the question is, what level do you want to replace your testosterone at? And I just, I wrote three really good eBooks recently. If you go to my website, which is brandeismd.com and go to media and then drop down to eBooks, eBooks are free. All you got to do is put your email address in there and, and you can download as many of the ebooks as you want. So one of the ebooks is on testosterone levels. And so when I was doing general urology, the, the goal was to get someone into what's called the eugonadal range, which is basically like what your testosterone should normally be, like somewhere between four and 600, right? And I would put patients into that level and... I'd say, oh, you know, I, we got your testosterone. It's like perfect. It's 550. And they'd say, oh, okay. Feel a difference? I guess. Not really. No. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Yeah. And, that, and that was sort of good enough. And the thing is, if you look at my ebook, right, there's lots of different ways to replace testosterone because you can't take testosterone as a pill, although now there is a pill, but it doesn't go into the liver. It goes through the lymphatic system. So it's a little bit of a different type of pill. But it's really hard to get high levels, right? And the reason for that is that the skin is a relatively impermeable barrier. So H2O is water, so it's a small molecule. If you jump into a swimming pool, are you going to get waterlogged? No. So testosterone is 100 times bigger than H2O, or more than 100 times bigger, 
right? Is it going to be easy to drag a testosterone molecule through the skin and into the blood circulation? No, of course not, right? So you got to put a lot of testosterone on your skin in order to get a little, little bit through with some of the things called carrier gels, which kind of drags testosterone through the skin. So you can put testosterone in the skin as a patch, as a gel. You can do a nasal spray. You can do a sublingual. There's a new pill out there and don't be tricked by this pill. It's called Jitenzo. They're going to be advertising it like crazy pretty soon. It's going to say 87% of people are in the yugonadal range. But if you actually look at the curves and I have the curves in my ebook, only about a third of the time are you in the yugonadal range, which means 400 to 600. But like I'm going to tell you in a second, that's irrelevant. The only... <laughs> testosterone preparation that will give you high levels that is not a shot or a pellet is actually in the rectum. Yeah, which I know some men who do that. Yeah, but if you look at the dose response curves on that, it's high for about four hours and then it drops off. So it really means you're going to have to put a testosterone pellet in the rectum about three to four times a day. Not exactly convenient. Yeah, so that wouldn't be my personally preferred way to replace testosterone, but you know, different strokes for different folks. So the way to get your testosterone into a level that really will make a difference. And for me, that really will make a difference is between a thousand and 1200. Okay. And that's a physiologic dose of testosterone because that's a testosterone dose that you were at when you were 16, 18, 20 years old, and you were feeling like indestructible, right? So it's safe. The main downsides of testosterone is if you have aggressive prostate cancer, you shouldn't be on testosterone. If you have a really big prostate and you're having difficulty urinating, get that looked at before you get on testosterone. If you want to look like Fabio and you want to keep all your hair, you probably shouldn't be on high levels of testosterone, although there are ways of doing things that you can keep your hair better. You may get a little bit of acne or some oily skin. That's pretty much it. Okay. And your hematocrit, your blood count can go up. So, which is really not that big a deal either. And easy to monitor. And easy to monitor. Now, if you're on testosterone, understand that there's what's called a negative feedback loop. So the more testosterone you make, your brain and your pituitary say, oh, we got enough. Let's shut it down. If you're taking testosterone exogenously, meaning from the outside, your brain and your pituitary don't know the difference between what you make at home and what is brought in from the outside. So your brain and your pituitary say, oh, let's shut it down. But if you go to someone who knows what they're doing, they'll put you on either Clomid or HCG, which continue your testicles producing testosterone and sperm, right? Because that's the other thing is if you're, I've seen this a lot. Me too. I get a lot of younger folks, right? They go on high levels of testosterone from some guy that they met at the gym, of course, that is very trustworthy and has a medical degree from Gold's Gym. Right, of course. Yes. And they'll put him on something. And I've seen guys get infertility. I've seen guys get their testosterone production totally knocked out for the rest of their lives. I've seen guys get in their livers into trouble. So I have another ebook on my website, Brandeis MD, called Performance Enhancing Drugs. It's really, really good. It explains the whole world of performance-enhancing drugs, testosterone derivatives, DHT derivatives, 19 NORs, all the other sort of bodybuilding drugs that go along with it in a way that you can kind of begin to understand the categories and how all these things work. And so if you're doing that or you know someone that's doing that, please send them to that website because you actually can do permanent damage to yourself by doing the wrong thing. And you, I mean, you know that as well as I do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, we could talk about this for hours, but as we finish out our time, this is the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. So what are your top two or three things you want to leave all the listeners with when it comes to being the 21st century man? What are the top two or three things that you're like, look, this is the secret sauce. This is what you need to know. Yeah. So I think the secret sauce is the first chapter of the book is called The Hero's Journey. And it's based on a concept from a guy named Joseph Campbell, who looked at the world mythology and looked at sort of patterns of mythology. And there's something that he called the hero's journey, which is like a journey of life and sort of a heroic journey of life. And to me, 
the most important thing is to see yourself as the hero of your own life journey. What all these things with like Tiger Woods and Johnny Depp teach me is that everyone's got problems. And I see it in, in my patients too, you know, guys that are super wealthy or ex-athletes or whatever. Everybody's got problems. And focus on your own problems. Solve your own problems. Don't worry about Johnny Depp's problems because he's got a lot of them. And don't worry about Tiger Woods' problems because he's got a lot of them. Worry about your own problems. And really focus on what I started the podcast with, which is it's pretty simple to be healthy. Don't drink alcohol. Don't smoke. Don't do drugs. Don't eat too much food. Exercise every day. Stretch, meditate a little bit, and be nice to people. It really, like to a certain extent, people try to make it so complicated. But if you do all that, you'll do pretty good in terms of your health. Here, here. Absolutely to that. That's fantastic. That's the root cause right there. That's the root cause right there. Well, you know, everyone listening is like, well, dang, where can I get all this information from him? So tell everybody, where can they find you? Where can they learn more from you? Absolutely. Okay, so I got a lot of websites. I love it. The 21st Century Man, all written out in letters, is where you can get the book, the21stcenturyman.com. If you want to go to my personal website, I'm in practice in Northern California, but I see people, I have people flying in from all over the country. I do some telehealth consults, but it's much better if you actually can come to the office. Go to my website, which is brandeismd.com, B-R-A-N-D-E-I-S-M-D.com. My supplement company is Affirm Science, A-F-F-I-R-M science.com. So we have a nitric oxide boosting supplement. We have a testosterone boosting supplement based on DHEA and DIM and ashwagandha and tankar ali. And then we have a prostate health supplement called Spunk and a one for, <laughs> I have a good, I, my, my mind is very twisted. I love it. Try not to laugh out yeah. loud. <laughs> and then uh, my premature ejaculation supplement is called Prelong. And then I have a YouTube channel that I put up, like I do a lot of research presentations and I speak to physicians and that kind of stuff. And I put up a lot of that kind of stuff up there. And then I also have an Instagram and I think that's it. That's enough. You're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy. You can find them all over. Yeah, you oh didn't even talk about like growing <laughs> penises or any of the other cool... Which will, that'll be part two. Yeah, part two. <laughs> Is that in your book, How to Grow a Penis? No, but uh, that'll be... <gasps> Is that an ebook? That's a, uh, a research presentation. Hopefully, I'll be giving in at the end of October at the International Society of Sexual Medicine meeting. And then after that, uh, hopefully, we'll be opening that up to people beyond the folks at Brandeis MD. My gosh. Then we will definitely have a part two just to cover <laughs> all of that. Yeah. Start the new year off right. There you go. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate all your information, your sense of humor, just everything. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode. <laughs>